The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast and Eric presented by Bird Dog Shorts. Dominate summer with an amazing pair of shorts and a free Yeti-style tumbler when you order over at birddogs.com slash pool. That's birddogs.com slash pool. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast from the Sports Gambling Podcast. Snarek, it is currently Sunday afternoon, July 2nd, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rachel, once again going solo for this pod. And it should be a very fun episode because it is officially time to preview the third Grand Slam event of the year. It is Wimbledon time, which is officially starting Monday morning. So since it's starting tomorrow, figured I might as well go through my thoughts for each quarter as well as who I think is going to win the actual event. Pretty important event because Djokovic is still technically in line for a calendar Grand Slam after winning both Australia and the French Open. So I do think, once again, you're looking at Djokovic, who has owned this tournament in years past, to have a lot to play for. And he actually has not participated in any warm-up events. Not a total shock because Djokovic, once again, owns grass more than arguably any player ever in the history of the sport, I am aware that when you start comparing different players in their grass successes, it's a little bit different because they changed the overall speed of the courts at Wimbledon. It used to be a very serve dominant with serve and volley play from Sampras, etc. And then it kind of pivoted more during the Federer era to more of a rally based system. Some people have called it green clay. I wouldn't go that far. But the serving definitely hasn't been as dominant as it has been in previous decades. And that's why Djokovic has been able to dominate for so long. It's because he's probably the best rallier of all time up there with Nadal, of course. Uh, but Nadal's topspin doesn't always play that well on grass. Either way, point is Djokovic owns the event and he has been... Really, really unstoppable throughout the entire year in Grand Slams, as well as his career on Wimbledon. So it is going to be, of course, a shock if he does lose, if I'm being fully honest. He's battled some injuries. He's gone through it both in Australia and in France, and he ended up winning the title both times. So it's not a total shock that Djokovic is a minus favorite. That's kind of the elephant in the room, because usually for these Grand Slams, you tend to see the favorite at around even money, maybe plus 120. But for Djokovic, they're not even going to bother. He's won this event a total of seven times, and he's going for his eighth. He has not lost in this event in a long time. He won the he won the title in 2021 and 2022. Uh, COVID, I believe, interrupted Wimbledon in 2020, which means that he has won each of the last four Wimbledons because he also won in 2019 and in 2018. So simply put, Djokovic is the king on grass and as a result you are going to have to try to pray that he loses because he's been so good for so long on the surface i'll go through the other options for who can potentially dethrone him but for the sake of it i'm just going to start off with the elephant in the room do i think Djokovic should be around minus 160 yes i think it's pretty safe to say he is the cream of the crop in this overall event and I think most people are expecting him to reach the final, potentially win based on the draw and how favorable it was. I'm going to get into that in a second. But before I get into any of the other Wimbledon preview stuff, do want to discuss how we did on the last podcast. Unfortunately, the lock and dog picks were not great as we ended up losing both the lock and the dog. We ended up uh, leaning to Manorino to get the job done against Eubanks. And we also ended up taking Eubanks to have more double faults at plus 125. Manorino money line wasn't close. It looked like he tweaked something 
early in the match. He wasn't really moving properly. Either way, Eubanks was very good throughout the entire match. So I'm going to give credit where credit is due. But I will point out that Manorino was moving a little bit gingerly throughout most of that match. So picked up a loss there. But for the dog, I can't really call it a bad beat, but it was pretty unfortunate because Manorino had zero double faults in the entire match, which means if if Eubanks had won, we would have won. Unfortunately, you had zero double faults combined between both players, and it was a three-way line, so we ended up losing because the tie won. Bit of a heartbreaker there for the double fault prop, because anytime your guy gets zero, you're probably going to cash that bet 90-plus percent of the time. But Eubanks served very well avoided any doubles, and you had a very clean service performance by both guys in terms of second serve percentage. But still, either way, point is, ended up losing both the lock and the dog. But the truth is that's kind of irrelevant because if you ended up backing the plays that we gave out for the outrights in Eastbourne and in Mallorca, you did very, very well for yourself because we ended up cashing Eubanks at 20-1 to to win the event. I believe it's the longest long shot we've hit on an outright in a long, long time. Usually the outrights we've hit are, are that are a bit surprising. I know we had a 12 to one last year, I believe on Nishioka, usually around seven or eight to one. We were automatically going to win in the final because we had Manorino and Eubanks to win the trophy, but Eubanks was a much higher price, roughly three times the price of Manorino. So even though we lost with the lock there, I'm gladly willing to sacrifice that for the sake of cashing a 20 to one prop. So overall can't complain pretty good uh, Saturday for us. And hopefully that carries over because hitting a 20 to one shot entering Wimbledon is definitely a sign that we are on a pretty good trajectory. And hopefully that carries over into the quarters and the outright for this event. Besides that, really not much to recap. Uh, over the weekend in terms of news, I don't have anything, so I'm not going to bother with any of that. Instead, I'm just going to go straight ahead into Wimbledon. And I kind of already started my breakdown because I mentioned directly that Djokovic is Djokovic. So he should be around minus 160 to win the event. And I think that this line definitely makes sense. At the end of the day, somebody's got to beat him. And when you're looking at the history of this event, once again, Djokovic has won this event a ton of times. And he has not lost in an actual match in Wimbledon in a long, long time. So it really should be uh, Djokovic's tournament to lose. I'll mention his quarter in a second going in order. But to read off the other odds, the actual strategy of what we're going to do is going to be pretty similar to what we've done in previous Grand Slam breakdowns. We are going to talk about each individual quarter. I'll read off some of the odds first for the main favorites in this event, and then I'll go back and I will talk about uh, who I think potentially can have a shot at uh, winning as a long shot. But Djokovic has won each of the last four Wimbledons. He has won six of the last eight Wimbledons. So it's pretty safe to say that Djokovic is definitely in a class of his own in the actual grass surface. But the point is, when you're looking at this overall tournament, I can't really call it a weak field because this is just the general field that we have up to this point. Because with Nadal being out and Federer retiring, there's really not many guys with a ton of Grand Slam experience. Warenka and Murray, of course, are well past their primes. Warenka was never good on grass anyway. But Murray was one of the best grass court players. And unfortunately, of course, he is well past his prime. And he's got no chance to actually win. So because of that, we're going to have to get a little bit creative here if we're going to try to pick a long shot. But in reality, I think it's pretty safe to say I'm taking Djokovic. It's not exactly a hot take. Uh, I think that he's the best player of all time. I feel like most people feel that way. 
anybody holding out can make an argument about injuries and how Nadal, if he was healthy, injuries are a part of the sport. I, I got to factor that in. It's not my fault that Djokovic, I know he's gotten injured at times, so it's pretty weird to call him the most durable player of all time when he has had to play through injuries, but he's missed less time than a lot of all-time greats for a guy that's played this many tournaments, which is a testament to Djokovic's training regimen and his diet, which he drastically changed after the first couple years of his career. But you get my point. My point is, is that Djokovic is really in a class of his own as far as I'm concerned, historically speaking. I think he is the greatest of all time. I think Nadal's second. I think Federer's third. And I feel like that is how most people should feel, in my opinion, about the all-time GOAT status. But still, point is Djokovic at minus 160, I understand. Alcaraz is plus 350. Sinner is plus 2,000. So that tells you all you need to know about this tournament. Because you have two guys who are below 4-1, to one, and nobody else is within 19-1 to one to win the tournament. So in other words, they're looking at Djokovic, Alcaraz, and nobody else, if I'm just being fully honest here. Which is why, once again, I'm gravitating towards Djokovic because even the odds makers don't think anybody else really has a shot. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. But for the sake of this, Djokovic minus 160, Alcaraz plus 350, Sinner plus 2,000, Medvedev plus 2,000, Korda plus 3,500, Zverev plus 3,500, Rune plus 3,500. Then you have Kyrgios and Fritz at 40 to 1. You have Diminor at 65 to 1. Murray at 65 to 1, Tiafo at 70, you have Rublev at 80, Tsitsipas at 80, Bublik at 100, you get my point. So once again, even in the 20 to 1 range, you only have four players who are 20 to 1 or lower, and everybody else is 35 to 1 or higher. So nobody's expecting really any Cinderella story in this in this overall tournament, and that's where the quarters come in. Because once again, the quarters are where I think you're going to find a lot of value here. Kind of like the French, I know I picked the wrong guy, in the French. But the point is, the argument was Alcaraz would run somewhat unopposed, and then you had Djokovic, who was right by him. But it was basically a two-horse race, and you assumed that you were going to see maybe a little bit of a circus in the quarters, but once the dust settled, you would end up seeing the cream rise to the top, and it did, because Djokovic was the second favorite to win the French Open, and he did. And of course, Djokovic was the favorite to win the Australian Open, and he won the Australian Open. So, historically speaking, picking the Long shot candidates rarely, if ever, works because the big three have been so dominant for so long. And in Wimbledon especially, if you include Murray into the big three, big four for the sake of Wimbledon, because Murray was the number one player in the world for a while, and he also was a very, very good player on grass, somebody not named Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, or Murray Nobody besides those four guys have won a Wimbledon event since 2002. It's been an insanely long time, over 20 years. So once again, I'm not picking anybody that I think is going to be a serious long shot to win the event. But having said that, I am going to get into the quarters and talk about where I think the value might lie. So starting off in order with the first quarter, Alcaraz is minus 140. You have Rune at plus 550. You have Zverev at plus 600. Tiafo is plus 1200. Diminor is plus 1200. Dimitrov is plus 1400. And you have Berrettini at 20 to 1. I'll mention Berrettini because he was a runner-up here a couple years ago, but based on recent form, there's no way I'm taking Berrettini, who's been a mess the entire season. But this, for the sake of this quarter, it really comes down to how much faith you have in Alcaraz, and if you truly think 
he has solved the grass court because he had issues with grass in the past, which isn't a shock because as a Spaniard, he hadn't exactly exposed himself much to grass. And he has stated several times publicly his inexperience on grass definitely should not make him a serious threat. Then everything changed a little bit because he actually won a grass title. And it looked like he was potentially going to lose to Rinderknich in the first round to a lucky loser. And then he ended up winning that match in a third set. And then he proceeded to not drop a set again in that event. And Alcaraz suddenly said he's playing the best grass tennis of his career. And suddenly he views himself as being a serious threat. The point is, even though he has played a lot better, I think it warrants him being the second favorite. The problem is, one, he won a two out of three set tournament. Now he's playing three out of five, which is a concern because, once again, he does not have much history on grass. And B, the durability concerns have been there. Alcaraz has either cramped or he's gotten injured at various points. We saw it in the French Open where his body completely fell apart on him against Djokovic in the French Open semi. But you get my point. My point is Alcaraz, with his, still, with his lack of overall experience on grass, I think he should win the quarter. But if he didn't, I would not be totally shocked because suddenly people are expecting him to be a genius on grass. And I'm not going to say that it's a fair comparison, but at least humor me for a second. It reminds me a bit of Medvedev winning a Masters 1000 event on clay. And we saw it happen. He was able to, I believe he beat Rune in the final of that event. And everyone was shocked because Medvedev had historically been awful on clay. And you figured, all right, you know, maybe... He has turned over a new leaf, and suddenly he's very good on clay, and people backed him. A lot of people, as a dark horse candidate to win the French Open, and he lost in the first round to Seabolt Wild. Now, I'm not saying that Alcaraz is going to lose in the first round of Wimbledon. I'm not saying he's going to lose to Charty, but my point is, I do think, once again, people are suddenly overcorrecting to Alcaraz, where they think that he is now a very good grass player because of one tournament. That's a little bit of an overreaction for me. Having said that, I'm not sold on the overall talent on grass in this quarter. Rune has not been known for being a, go- a great grass court player either. Zverev's pretty good on grass, so I'll get back to Zverev in a second. Tiafo did win a grass title in Stuttgart, but Tiafo's also a head case, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, Diminor's pretty good on grass as well. Dimitrov's good on grass, but he's a head case. I'll never take him. So once again, it's a pretty weak overall quarter. I think I have to take Alcaraz based on upside and just the fact that he's the most talented player in this quarter by a wide margin. But if I had to pick some other options here, I do think you can make an argument for Zverev at plus 600. Now, he completely fell apart in the French Open semi against Rude, but he still made the semi. And I know that Zverev's comfortable on clay, but the point is Zverev has been playing better over the last couple of months, and I have to at least acknowledge it. And once again, it is a pretty weak quarter in general. So I do think Zverev could potentially have a decent path to make a run. But reading off the actual schedule for Zverev, face off against Brower in the first round, he should win that. Then either Hussor or Watanuki should win that one. And then either Sonigo, Diminor, or Berrettini. But the point is, I think Zverev should be able to win as a favorite in the first three rounds. So I'm kind of penciling him into the round of 16. Now, the problem is in the round of 16, he would face off against uh, Alcaraz, which could be the serious problem. But I feel like I have to at least consider it. Now, you're looking at Alcaraz's section. It's not bad. I mean, he should be able to get by Chardy. He has a rematch most likely against Rinderknich, which should be pretty interesting in the round of 64. And then either a matchup against Umber or Jari, most likely in the round of 32, which he should win. 
But Zverev, I do think, can give Alcaraz problems. And I know that Zverev, confidence-wise, should not be intimidated by Alcaraz because he beat him in the French Open a couple years ago before Zverev's unfortunate injury that he suffered. But the point is, Zverev has beaten Alcaraz in a Grand Slam before in three out of five. So I do think that he will not be that intimidated. Now, I want to do. I want to actually look at Tiafo, who I think can make a deep run. He lost a heartbreaker to Golfin last year in a pretty deep of Wimbledon run there and a match he probably should have won. But still, Tiafa faced off against Yibbing in the first round. No offense to Yibbing, but I'm assuming Tiafa wins that one. Then either Stricker or Papyron. I think Tiafa should win that one. Then probably Dimitrov, which could be very competitive, but I do think Tiafa would end up winning that one. It would be close, though. And then a matchup against Rune at the bottom. Rune does have a pretty favorable draw, to be fully honest, but I still don't think he would ever beat Alcaraz in the actual... Uh, quarter. So the question is, do I want to take Rune for the sake of making a deep run just to hope that Alcaraz gets upset and then suddenly Rune might be a favorite in the quarter? Not really, because I still haven't seen that much from Rune in the past. I do think Tiafo is probably worth a flyer. Uh, so I think for the sake of this quarter, I'm actually going to take three options. I'm going to go with Alcaraz at minus 140. I'm going to go with Zverev at plus 600. And I'm going to go with Tiafo at plus 1200. I really don't see much else that I'm tempted by. You make an argument, maybe, if you want to throw Rune in a plus 550, but eh, I, I just don't think he's good enough on grass. And if I'm going to criticize Alcaraz for his injury concerns, I got to mention Rune, who takes a medical timeout every match. Now, you can argue that it's going to be part of gamesmanship and how he tries to mess with the rhythm of his opponent. So he's not actually injured. He just takes the match timeouts to disrupt the overall flow of the match and to try to throw a wrinkle into his opponent's rhythm. But still... I've seen cramping from him in the past. I don't really want to bother. So for that reason, I'm going to ignore Rune. But give me those three guys to win the quarter. Moving on to the second quarter, which is the most open quarter available. You have Medvedev at plus 260. That's how you know it's an open quarter, because the favorite is plus 260. Uh, Court is plus 500. Tsitsipas is plus 650. Murray's plus 650. Nori's plus 900. Tommy Paul's 14 to 1. Rayonich is 20 to 1. And to be honest, I'm not going to really waste anybody else's time. If you want to throw in Eubanks at 28 to 1 or Shelton at 28 to 1, I'm not going to stop you. My only concern, once again, it goes back to a general rule that I have when it comes to tournaments, which is trying to fade guys who made a deep run the weekend prior. And Eubanks making a final uh, and having to play on Saturday isn't ideal. Same with Tommy Paul, who, of course, lost to Sarundalo, and coincidentally, they're in the same quarter. But I'm not interested in Paul or Sarundalo because they both had to play on Saturday. I'm more concerned about Paul because he had to play two full matches on Saturday. But I do think you make an argument if full health was there and full rest. Maybe you can argue Tommy Paul or somebody like that. But with, once again, the lack of rest prior to the event... Historically, I'm going to keep fading these guys because it has worked out very well for us. And you very rarely see a guy win an event or make a final over the weekend that wraps over into a grand slam and it pays off. It usually does not work out. So for that reason, I am going to stay away from those three guys that I mentioned. But for the sake of this overall quarter, Medvedev, I'm not taking. And I know Medvedev was a guy that I think is a decent grass player. But for the most part, I have not been impressed with his overall form, and he's been upset by a couple of good, I'd say decent grass court players, but he just has not looked that sharp. And I know that there was kind of a running joke for a long time that Medvedev was a hard court specialist, 
and then he won a Masters 1000 event on clay. But again, my point, my point is I just don't think he's very good on non-hardcore surfaces in Grand Slams. And Medvedev maybe can make a quarter, but I really just don't feel that tempted to take him in the spot. And I do think when you're looking at this overall uh, section, I really do like Korda. I think Korda's the best grass court player in this field, and it might be an overreaction because Korda looked really good in one event before losing to Alcaraz eventually in the semis, I believe, in straight sets. But Korda's game really does translate well to grass. And I know that he kind of was like half-joking where he said that he was he viewed himself as being one of the favorites. I can't really disagree with him because I do think on grass he looks quite comfortable out there. And I wanted to at least mention his section, or I should say his immediate match breakdown here. So looking at Korda, face off against Vesely, who's barely played this year, then O'Connell, then a matchup against probably Nori or Eubanks. I'll let them kill each other. But I think Korda's got a decent path, and I do think that when you're looking at guys in good form, I know durability can be a bit of a concern, but Korda was really good in Australia too. Then he got injured, which of course is a problem. Medvedev, though, would potentially have to face off against Manorino in the second round, and Manorino beat him on grass a couple of weeks ago. So that's not exactly the easiest round of 64 matchup for Medvedev. And because of that, I do think that he might be vulnerable to lose early in this event. So I don't want to take Medvedev based on that draw. I'm going to go with Korda at plus 500. Now, Tsitsipas at 650, no chance in hell. He's too busy in the honeymoon phase of his relationship with Bedoza, and he's been a mess on the court. So there's no chance I'm actually going to take uh, Paz in this event because he can barely beat anybody at this point. So Paz is a complete pass. Murray, I'm going to pass on as well. I just think he's too old. And I think that even though he might look good in the first couple rounds, he also has gone to a lot of really, really long matches, and he's done well in those. But with him being that old, we saw it in Australia, where physically he kind of broke down against Batista Agut because he was playing so many five-set matches uh, to start the overall uh, tournament. And I just think that when you're looking at that being the case, it's not the greatest spot for Murray to make a deep run. I don't think he's ever going to make a, a semi ever again. So that's kind of how I look at it. But I do think, once again, when you're looking at this overall quarter, I'm going to pass on Murray. Nori, I'd consider because he made the semis last year, but I don't like his current form either. So I'm going to pass on Nori. But I really don't see much here. I think I'm just going to take Korda and I'm going to gamble on it because I do think that Medvedev's not going to make the semis, in my personal opinion. And because of that, I do think, once again, you're looking at a spot where you're going to see Korda actually make a pretty deep run. So that's kind of my thoughts on the second quarter. Now, moving on to the third quarter, you have Sinner as the favorite at plus 185. You have Fritz at plus 400. You have Rude at plus 800. You have Shapo at plus 900. You have uh, Batista Gut at, at 12 to 1. You have Chorich at 18 to 1. Gasquet at 22 to 1. Atta at 25 to 1. And I feel like that's kind of enough names. I probably mentioned a few too many. Now, Sinner, I do think, should be the favorite here uh, because he was up two sets to nothing against Djokovic in Wimbledon. The problem was I still don't trust him based on current form. He got injured in his last event, and now suddenly he's the favorite to win a quarter. I don't see it personally, but I can understand why he's favored. Fritz is a mess at this current point in time, so I don't really trust Fritz either. So this quarter is totally up in the open. I do think, once again, the second and the third quarters are going to be where you see a potential 
a long shot. And Fritz does have to face off against Hoffman in the first round. Hoffman's been good. Like, it wouldn't totally shock me if Hoffman was able to beat uh, Fritz in this overall matchup. But I think when you're looking at this overall quarter, once again, I'm going to start off with Sinner's draw. Uh, so Fritz, I'm out on because I really just don't trust him. I know he made a pretty deep run of Wimbledon uh, before losing to injured Nadal. But still, I don't exactly trust his current form. So I'm going to pass on him. Now, looking at Sinner's actual draw uh, quickly, face off against Juan Manuel Sarandolo. That's a free win. Then probably Kikmanovic, which should be a free win. Then probably Evans, who has not been good either. So Sinner's really cruising into the basically the fourth round of the event and then probably a matchup against either Fritz or Hoffman. I think Sinner should be favored, but durability is a serious problem, and I can't really trust him. So I think if I'm going to actually look at an option that I do like, I know he's older, but he was playing some good tennis on grass a couple of weeks ago. I kind of like Batista Agut in this section, and I think that 12-1 to 1 is a very good price. Batista Agut is a good grass court player, and you're looking at his actual draw. Face off against Safulin in the first round, then probably Gasquet, then a matchup against Chorich, Pella, Bonzi, or Mayotte, which should be a pretty solid draw for Batista Agut, and then a matchup against either Chapo, Lloyd Harris, Barreri, or in theory, Rude. Rude, by the way, is probably going to lose in the first round, facing off against Lacoli. It doesn't even matter who he's against. Rude is a terrible grass player. So bad, he doesn't even bother to play in, on grass. So I don't see Rude actually suiting up for this event. I think you're probably going to be looking at a spot where Rude punts early, loses very quickly in the event. Maybe Lacoli has a shot to win that first-round match. But I think Batista Agut has a very good uh, actual draw for a plus 1,200. And I'm going to take him. I think that Batista Agut's got value at 12 to 1, and I do think that there's a lot of value on it. So give me Batista Agut at plus 1,200. It also has a perk of seeing Fritz and Sinner potentially kill each other in the bracket before having to face off against them. But the point is, if you want to do make an argument for a couple of long shots, you want to target guys in the Rude section because Rude is a terrible grass player and you can let Sinner and Fritz kill each other so you don't have to face off against both of them. So Shapo maybe is tempting at 9-1. to one. The problem is Shapo is also a head case, so I don't know if I fully trust him. But Shapo, you can make a case for him. I'll put it that way. But Facing off against Albert, though, and then Lloyd Harris or Barreri. I can see Shapo losing in the second round. That's not the greatest overall draw. I really think that this is a very unpredictable quarter, but at the same point, a lot of the value, I think, is going to be in the bottom section, and the players in the bottom section aren't that great, which kind of defeats the purpose. But if you want to make a case for Hoffman to make a deep run, I can understand it at around 50-1. to 1. The problem is he faced off against Fritz in the first round and then potentially would have to face off against Sinner later on in the uh, round of 16. So I understand Hoffman at 50-1. to 1. If you do think Fritz might be on upset alert in the first round. But for the sake of this, I think I'm only going to look at one guy. I'm, I thought about Chapo, but I really don't like that second round matchup against Lloyd Harris and, and potentially Barreri. So I'm not that into it. Do I think Sinner is actually going to win the quarter? I think I'm... It's it's plus 185, and I know stamina is a problem, but Sinner really does have a pretty easy draw. 
I think I'm going to take center. I think I'm just going to do it. I really don't like Fritz's current form. He might lose to Hollenfin in the first round. But for the sake of this overall uh, break, uh, break, uh, quarter breakdown, give me center at plus 185 and give me Batista Agut at plus 1,200. My favorite play will be Batista Agut for the value at plus 1,200. And moving into the fourth quarter, you have Djokovic at minus 550, Kyrgios at 11-1, to Rublev at 14-1, to Hercatch at 18-1, to Bublik at 18-1, to Felix at 20-1. to You get my point. So it is pretty funny that Djokovic's quarter is actually somewhat difficult based on name brand recognition. Uh, but of course, as Djokovic we're talking about, who's unbeatable on, at Wimbledon. So I'm not going to waste anybody's time. I'm picking Djokovic to win the event, and I'm picking him to win the quarter. Uh, pretty easy draw in general. Uh, facing off against Katchen, who is not good on grass in the first round. He might win a set 6-0 in that one. Then facing off against Jordan Thompson or Nakashima. Not the easiest second-round matchup, but Djokovic, of course, is better than probably Rusevori. Uh, also should be manageable. And then you're looking at the other guys, and her catch is in the same section as Musetti and uh, Isner. You have Rublev on the other side. Uh, well, Bublik's in the same section as Felix, and they have not been good recently in general. Kyrgios is injured, so I don't trust him to actually win a round in this event. And Rublev should make a somewhat deep run in a section, but once again, I don't think he's the greatest on grass. He's fine. But I don't fully trust him. So because of that, I don't see any value on anybody else. I just think Djokovic is going to win because he is one of, if not the best grass court players of all time. So give me Djokovic, but I'm not going to bet it at minus 550. I'm basically skipping the fourth quarter. I really don't see much value. If I had to pick a long shot, I would pick Rublev because he has a pretty favorable draw, but I don't see much. So I'm leaning to Djokovic, but of course, uh, I'm not going to give out anything for the quarter. So once again, my picks for the quarter, I'm going to go with Alcaraz at minus 140. I'm going to go with Zverev at plus 600 and Tiafo at plus 1200. I'm going to go with Korda as my only option in the second quarter. For the third quarter, give me Sinner at plus 185 and give me Batista Agut at plus 1200. And for the fourth quarter, I have nothing because I do think Djokovic is going to win. Now, moving on to the actual outrights to win the event, uh, Djokovic at minus 160. I really can't disagree with that. I just think that Djokovic, once again, is going to win. Alcaraz has a plus 350. I understand the argument of him potentially being good on grass now, but we just convinced ourselves that Medvedev was good on clay, and he lost immediately in the first round. It's not to the same degree, but you get my point. I don't think plus 350 is good value on Alcaraz. I think he should be closer to like 5-1 to one or 6-1 to one because he has never really made a deep run at Wimbledon before and now suddenly he's supposed to win the entire thing. I don't see it, so I'm going to pass on Alcaraz. Sinner I can't trust because of the injuries. Medvedev I don't trust in general. Rune at 35-1, to 1, no chance. Korda at 35-1, to 1, maybe. Zverev at 35-1. to 1. I don't think he's good enough to actually win the event, so I'm not going to pick him. But I really just don't see many options. I, I think Djokovic is going to win. If I had to pick a long shot, I'd probably lean to Korda, actually. But I really don't see much. I'm sorry if you're expecting a, ma a massive uh, breakdown for Wimbledon in terms of outrights, and I was going to try to convince you to take a spin on this phenomenal long shot. It doesn't exist. Djokovic is the best grass court player, arguably, of all time. He's won four straight Wimbledons when there's been a Wimbledon. I'm not going to go against him. So I'm taking Djokovic and basically nobody else. And I just think that Djokovic will enter 
the U.S. Open, where they shot once again to win the calendar Grand Slam. But that's going to wrap it up for the sake of this tournament breakdown. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog Picks. But before I actually do that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is completely changing the game when it comes to shorts, as they don't use a stiff, restricting uh, cotton like other regular shorts. Instead, they use a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a waist slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. On top of that, Bird Dogs also uses an anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. And when you do end up ordering your pair of shorts from Bird Dog, you also get a free Getty style tumbler with your order. Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for Wimbledon. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock for the show, I'm actually going to look towards an underdog, but I am going to take the spread in this match. I'm going to look at a matchup between Golfen and Kyrgios, and for this one, I am going to take Golfen plus the two and a half games at minus 114 on FanDuel. Simply put, Kyrgios, I've mentioned before that I was going to blindly fade him in previous podcasts in Wimbledon because he's only played one match this year. And it did not go well. He lost in straight sets to Yibbing. But the point is, Kyrgios has really not played much tennis. He's battled a knee injury. And I do think, once again, with him playing in Wimbledon, I am skeptical of how he's going to look in a five-set match. We saw in the Yibbing match, he really could not move laterally. And he tended to forfeit a lot of free points. I think Golfin's going to be able to make uh, Kyrgios work. I'm not saying Golfin's a great player at this stage in his career. But at least he's a very good rallier. And he's able to keep the ball in play. And I do think that Kyrgios, if the serve is going to be a little bit compromised, because he won't be able to get as much lift and bend because of the knee, I do think that you can see Golfin make life difficult for Kyrgios. There are a couple of quotes from Kyrgios, which came out today, uh, about what he's expecting from himself out of Wimbledon. So he said, regarding his health, quote, Yeah, I still think there's some question marks for sure. I mean, obviously, five-set tennis is a completely different uh, base altogether. I look at my preparations last year coming in. I probably had the most ideal preparation possible. It cannot be any different. uh, It uh, couldn't be any different this year. Again, I'm not going to discredit the work I've put in for the last six months just to maintain my fitness, uh, get back on the court. I've been hitting with some really good players this week, and my body's feeling okay. I'm going to take it one day at a time. I'm not going to look forward and put unfair expectations on myself. I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to try to do everything I can, prepare, go out there, and play some good tennis. So simply put, when he's saying that he doesn't exactly want to put high expectations on himself, and he's the defending uh, runner-up at Wimbledon, it tells me that even Kyrgios realizes that he re- he's definitely not 100%. Now, Goffin isn't the greatest grass court player. Made a decent run last year, though. 
But you're looking at the head-to-head between these players, and it's actually been pretty close. Curios is up 3-2 to two in the head-to-head. Now, they have not faced off since 2017, so it's been a long time. But I just think that, once again, Curios being favored, despite having a serious knee issue and despite only playing one match this entire year, which he lost in straight sets, is not exactly a good look. And I do think that Gofen will be able to keep this match very competitive. And with Kyrgios' injury, would it shock me? If he punted a set, if Curios went down immediately 3-0 in a set, he might punt another service game. Who knows? But I do think, once again, Curios might try to experiment a bit to see how good the knee's going to feel. I think that Gulfen's going to wear him down, and I do think that a punt set could be in the works here for Curios. A couple ways to get there, but either way, give me Gulfen plus the two and a half games at minus 114 as my lock. And for my dog... This is going to be a fun one. We are going to take a really, really large underdog uh, because we can. And it's going to be in a matchup between Rude and Lacoli. And for this one, we're going to take Lacoli on the money line at plus 419. Now, I understand if you want to play it safe, maybe take plus two and a half sets. I don't mind that either. But Rude, I've mentioned it time and time again. He's not good on grass, and he knows he's not good on grass because he has not even been practicing. He has been attending some concerts. He's been chilling. He has not played a match since the French Open final, and he could not care less about grass. And in years past, he has not been good on grass either. I believe he's made the second round one time in his career in Wimbledon, so he has not exactly been uh, prepping himself well for this event. He could he could not care less. And I do think, once again, he's showing up because it's, of course, a Grand Slam event, but he has no expectation of actually winning. And I do think that Rude is once again going to lay an egg relatively early in this tournament. Now, Lacoli's a relative unknown. I'll admit that. However, he did go through qualifying, so he's pretty familiar with this overall surface, and I do think that he should be able to play well here. He did beat Momo in a five-set battle, so I know Momo isn't, of course, as good of a player in general as Rude, but on grass, Rude is really a lost cause, and if you're looking at a guy that you might want to fade blindly in the first round, Rude should really not be minus 500 against anybody on grass, because once again, he does not care, and with Okoli making it through qualifying and also playing some grass events before Wimbledon, he should be more accustomed to the surface, while Rude might not only just struggle but, but out of the gate, but might just struggle the entire match. Uh, I know he faded Rude last year on grass in his first match against Penniston, and Penniston was a pretty nice plus price, and he won outright in straight sets. I think Lacoli can definitely take this match, and I do think that it's mostly a value play. Rude having no interest in actually playing grass tennis, being minus 500 and change, is absolutely insane. So for the sake of this value, I'm going to go with Lacoli on the money line at plus 419. If you want to get very crazy with it, You can take Lacoli to win the first set and to win the match at around plus 475 or plus 500. If you want to take the play that we had for Varius, you can get Rude to win the first set and Lacoli to win the match at plus 1200. I'm not going to do that because Rude really might come out flat on grass in his first set of grass tennis in over a year. So give me Lacoli on the money line in general. No point in really going crazy with it because it's still a plus 419 underdog. So I don't have to stretch out even more value. But I'm going to fade Rude blindly. Give me a Lacoli money line at plus 419. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock is going to be on Gulfen plus two and a half games at minus 114 against 
Kyrgios. And my dog will be Lacoli Moneyline at plus 419 against Rude. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Besides uh, this podcast, I'm also on the NBA show, the NFL show, the MLB show, and the WNBA show. But a reminder, since this is a Grand Slam event, I will be doing an episode uh, for each round. Full disclosure, though, I will be traveling on Friday, and I will be away for the weekend because of a bachelor party. So I'm going to try to record uh, at this bachelor party venue. No promises, but I'm going to do my best. But we will have an episode. We're going to try to have an episode once every round. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.